Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. As Rex mentions, last week the Russian Federation invaded the nation of Ukraine. Russia attacked their peaceful threat to them, but because Russia wants to conquer and control Ukraine. And as Russian troops continue to, to kill and to injure Ukrainians as as they try to expand their territory and power, as, as millions probably of displaced refugees begin to flee, and as Western nations stand idly by, heartlessly watching all of this horror occur. It should push us to ask the question, why? Why is this happening? Why the pain? Why the hardship? Why the conflict? Why the evil? Why the death? But we must admit that the difficulties and the evil going on in Ukraine right now are not really unique. But sadly, they are just the latest and the most newsworthy in a long line of hardship and evil, both large and small, that we all experience and that we all participate in on this earth. A long line of dreadful realities. Your car breaks down and you have to spend more time and money than you have to get it fixed. You get into a fight with your spouse for the fourth time this week. Your boss or, or, or teacher is, is harsh and doesn't like you. Your computer crashes again. You get stuck in traffic. Your child poops through his diaper. You miss your flight. Your family member or close friend dies unexpectedly. You're late to work. You forget your lunch, your, your mom goes to the hospital, you get sick with the flu, you get in a car wreck, you lose your job, you blow up in anger at your kid, you get depressed, or you face your own death. Why do we have to deal with all of these dreadful realities? Why do they exist, and why are they so common in our lives? And most importantly, are they ever going to end? Well, we're going to be answering those questions today. And as we examine what God's word has to say about the trouble and pain and death that we experience in this life, we will not only be given answers, but we're going to be given answers that give us hope. So please look with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, as we examine mankind's fall into sin and God's judgment, mercy, and victory. 
the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. Put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because listen to the voice of your wife. Did you? You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Lord God, we thank you for allowing us to once again look at your word. And we ask that as we examine this passage about the fall, about your, your judgments, as well as your mercy and victory, that we would be encouraged, that we would be led to not understand, not just understand the, the reason for all the misery, but also understand the reason that we can have hope. I ask that you would Guard our hearts today that we would not be led astray by distractions, but that we would be focused. In your son's name we pray. Amen. The beginning of Genesis opened with so much good. The good God created everything good made mankind in his good image and put the first humans in a good garden and gave them everything good to eat. But mankind doubted the goodness of God. And they disobeyed the one thing God told them not to do. They sinned by eating the fruit from the forbidden tree and they began to experience some of the consequences for their sin. Christians have, have long called this disobedience and its consequences the fall, as it shows mankind's fall into sin. Last week, we began to examine some of the effects of the fall. We saw that when mankind sinned, they were consumed with shame over their sin. They were separated from God, and they tried to suppress the truth about their sin. Today we will continue to look at the effects of mankind's fall into sin by examining the judgment God declares on the three involved in this sinful fall. And we start by looking at the judgment on the serpent, the judgment on the serpent. Genesis 3, 14 through 15 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So far, God's words have mainly been reserved for blessing. As God spoke the universe into existence and and promised good for mankind and gave them good commands to follow. But now God's word of blessing has now been turned to cursing. A divine curse in the Bible is a decree of doom. It is a guarantee of misery from God. It declares God's judgment. God's judgment begins with the serpent. Now, this is no ordinary serpent. The first part of Genesis 3 showed us a serpent who could talk. Who, who tempted the first woman to eat the forbidden fruit, who slandered God. So the wicked actions and words of this serpent show us that it's not just one of many physical snakes, but is unique in its evil nature and abilities. And Revelation 12.9 gives us the full identity of this serpent, saying that, ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Serpent in the garden was being controlled by the devil, by Satan, who is a spiritual being, an enemy of God. So when God pronounces his judgment on the serpent, he is he's not primarily talking about the physical animal, but the spiritual being behind the creature. The serpent itself is the mascot of Satan. But since it is the mascot of this evil being, God starts by pronouncing judgment on it. Verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, this being the deception of the woman that was just mentioned in verse 13, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was said to be more crafty than any other beast of the field. But now the serpent would be the most cursed. From then on, it would travel on its belly and therefore be forced to eat of the dust of the ground. One's head being forced to the ground and and licking up the dust was a symbol of of humiliation, of defeat. In Psalm 72 and Micah 7, it is used to describe an enemy that has been conquered. And that is made... Explicitly clear in the next verse, verse 15. And this verse, verse 15, is one of the most important verse, verses in the entire Bible. So we're going to spend our, the most time on this verse. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Remember, it is the evil one behind the physical serpent that's the main target here, not the physical animal. So when God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he is talking about enmity between Satan and the woman, between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring. So this is not the physical offspring of a snake, but the spiritual offspring of Satan. Let me say that again. This is not the physical offspring of the snake, but the spiritual offspring of Satan. And that is how the rest of the Bible describes those who reject God. In Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 12 and chapter 23, Jesus Christ calls his unbelieving opponents evil vipers and serpents. And in Matthew 13, Jesus describes unbelievers as sons of the evil one. And in Acts 13, the Apostle Paul calls a false teacher a son of the devil. This is also how Jesus described his unbelieving opponents in John 8:44, saying, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the offspring of the serpent, his children are those who reject the true God. But the world will not just be filled with the spiritual offspring of Satan, for the woman would have offspring who oppose the serpent and his evil children. God said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Not only would the woman come to oppose Satan, but so would her offspring. There would be enmity between them, meaning there would be hostility. The serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring would be at war with one another. <coughs> A spiritual war between those who followed Satan and those who, like the woman, would come to have faith in God. This hostility would continue until the ultimate opponents Based off. <clears throat> Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice that the second half of verse 15 suddenly moves to talking in the singular. Instead of saying many offspring warring between each other, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Both lines of offspring would have a single champion. 
The champion of the, of the evil serpent's line would be the serpent himself, while the champion of the woman's offspring would be some unknown he. And this man, this, this promised one, would defeat the serpent. He would bruise the serpent's head while the serpent would bruise his heel. Now, as a kid, I was always a little confused about that ending part of verse 15. I, I always imagined the, the serpent biting the heel of the man and wondered how the serpent could bite the man after his head was crushed. Well, verse 15 says nothing about the serpent biting the man. Instead, we see the serpent causing some harm to the man's heel as the serpent's head is crushed. This is kind of like if some nerdy kid went to school and got beat up by a big bully, and then he goes home and he tells his mom, Mom, I did some damage to the bully's fist with my nose. The serpent will bruise the heel of the promised man as the promised man smashes the head of the serpent. The promised man will bruise the serpent's head. He will crush Satan, but in the process, Satan will exact some pain. On the man. Satan will be defeated. The one who brought sin and death into world, the enemy of God and man, he will be crushed. Now, Genesis chapter 3 does not reveal who this serpent crusher is. All we know is that he will be an offspring of the woman and that he will be a he. But as you walk through the Bible, you, you start to learn more and more and more about this promised one. We learn in Genesis 22 that the promised one is one of Abraham's offspring, as God said to Abraham that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, after Abraham had 12 sons, we learn in Genesis 49 that the promised one would be a, a king from Judah's family line. He would be a Jew. In 1 Chronicles 17, it narrows things down even further, saying that the promised eternal king would be a descendant of the Judean king David. Daniel 7 says this promised one, this king would be, a, would be divine and he would rule over all. Isaiah 53 says that the promised one would suffer and he would die to pay for the sins of his people. And Psalm 16 speaks of this promised one's resurrection from the dead, that he would conquer death, he would defeat it. And in the pages of the New Testament, we see this promised one, this Christ revealed as Jesus, the Son of God, is born into this world as a human, lives a perfect life, and then goes to a cross to die in the place of his people. He goes to die so that he can defeat sin and death. And through his death, 
And through his amazing resurrection from the dead, where he defeats the serpent, he has conquered the grave for all who repent and trust in him. And he rules on high as king. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says of Jesus Christ, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus would destroy the one who has the power of death. He would destroy the devil. He would crush that evil serpent through his own death. How would the serpent bruise the heel of the promised one? Through Jesus' death on the cross. And how would the promised one crush the head of the serpent? Through Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus Christ, the serpent crusher, would receive some pain as he smashes and defeats the devil for all eternity. This is the whole story of the Bible. The ultimate fight between good and evil. And it's much more exciting than, than Lord of the Rings or, or Harry Potter or, or Star Wars because those are all fiction. They're just make-believe. While the story of the Serpent Crusher is real. It's reality. Sauron, Lord Voldemort, and Emperor Palpatine, they're all just pretend villains. But the serpent, the devil, he's real. And his defeat has already been determined. This epic, ultimate battle between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman will result in the serpent being eternally crushed. God Almighty will be victorious in the end. The serpent has led mankind into sin. And they will all face God's Judgment. But in the middle of this passage on God's judgment, God gives his people some hope. The enemy of God and man, the father of sin and death, the devil, is going to be defeated. But God is not done with his judgments. And though there is now reason for some hope, there are still consequences for sin that mankind must face. And we see that in our next point. The judgment on the woman. The judgment on the woman. Genesis 3 verse 16 says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The woman had disobeyed God's command and had eaten of the forbidden fruit. And the effects of this 
fall into sin would cause damage to some of the things that, that, that should have given her the most joy in life. Her home life would experience pain and strife because of the fall. First, the blessing of children would now be combined with the pain of labor and delivery. God said in the first half of verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. The terrible pain that, that women experience in childbirth is a direct result of the fall. The, the discomfort, the, the strain, and, and sometimes complete agony of, of giving birth to a baby is a perpetual reminder of mankind's fall into sin. The blessing of children is now tainted with pain. But second, the blessing of a husband is now combined with conflict. In the second half of verse 16, God says to the woman, Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, this verse can sound a bit confusing, but if you look across the page to Genesis 4, it helps us understand it. In Genesis 4, Cain is angry because God accepted his brother Abel's sacrifice, but God did not accept his sacrifice. And in Genesis 4, 7, God warns Cain about his sinful anger, saying, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That desire is obviously referring to sin's desire to, to overcome and rule Cain. Cain must rule over sin or it will rule over him. And the end of that verse, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, is remarkably similar to the end of Genesis 15. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. So this helps us understand that the woman's desire for her husband is a controlling desire. She wants to rule her husband. She wants to be the one in charge, be the one in control. Now, as we saw earlier in Genesis, God had made man to be a leader. He had created man first. He had, he had given man the first command, had named the human race man, and allowed the man to name the woman, which showed the man's authority. And when mankind sinned, God confronted the man first, as he was the leader, he was more responsible for the sin. But because of the fall, women now have the wrongful desire to be the one in charge of the marriage relationship, to have all the authority. But Genesis 3.15 says, Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Though the woman would have the desire to be in charge, her husband would rule over her. Now, the Hebrew word for rule here is not a gentle word. It is a rule by virtue of power and authority. It, it has the idea of dominating someone else. Now, that is not the kind of loving relationship of an equal that we see encouraged in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
But that's the point. Because of the fall, the roles of both men and women will be distorted. Women will refuse to follow their husband's leadership and instead desire to control them. And men will not lead in good and loving ways, but will try and dominate their wives. The first woman had failed in her role to follow her husband's leadership. And the first man had failed in his role to be a leader. And so the consequence would be that they and all couples after them would struggle in their relationships with one another. There would be conflict as women try to usurp their husband's leadership and husbands lead in harsh and dominating ways. And if there would be conflict in the closest, the most intimate relationship on earth, if there would be conflict in marriage, it is guaranteed that every relationship on earth will be filled with conflict. There will be strife with, with people as people sinfully and selfishly go against one another. Conflict in marriage and in every relationship on earth is a direct result of mankind's fall <coughs> into sin. But thankfully, we know that from the rest of the Bible, relationships can be transformed by the power of the gospel. The good news of the Savior, Jesus, can transform a wife into someone who respects and submits to her husband. And the gospel can change a husband into someone who leads in a loving and sacrificial way, looking to his wife's needs above his own. And in the same way, the gospel can radically change our relationship with our, our kids, our, our co-workers, our friends, and, and all others around us. But the conflict in relationships will be a constant struggle while we are here on earth. And that struggle is not a result of genetics. It's not a, a, a result of a bad environment. It's not a result of bad education. That struggle is a result of mankind's fall into sin. <clears throat> that fall not only messed up relationships, but also did damage to our work and our physical bodies. We see that in our next point, the the judgment on the man, the judgment on the man. Genesis 3 verses 7 through 19 says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam had failed in his leadership role. <clears throat> Instead of leading his wife, he followed her into sin. Adam disobeyed God by eating of the tree that God had explicitly said, do not eat from. 
So God cursed the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In Genesis 1 and 2, God had had blessed mankind with food from the earth. But now God curses the earth and food is only obtained through great hardship. All the days of Adam's life, the process of getting food would be painful. Verse 18 says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. The process of making a living in this world would be met with obstacles. Instead of ground just bringing forth tasty vegetables and fruit, it would now also produce thorns and thistles. God had commanded man to work back in Genesis 1 and 2, and and so work is, is not a bad thing. But now work would be difficult as as things would interfere and and cause problems with work. I don't believe that curse is, is just on those that farm. That was just the main occupation of their time, so it represented all of work. So the thorns and and thistles, the, the obstacles and difficulties are experienced in all jobs. Arlen's computers will unexpectedly crash. It'll get computer viruses. Louis' cattle will will break out and break down the fences. Conley's supplies will run out and delay his construction projects. Pat's bus will have engine problems or the the tires or the windows will break. All of the, the difficult obstacles that you face at work are a result of the fall. And so verse 19 says... By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. In other words, work is now going to wear you out. It's going to be hard. Providing for yourself and your family will take great effort and will suck the energy out of you. Making a living is sometimes going to be a very wearisome task. And the difficulty will last till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This not only tells us that the hard, energy-sucking, obstacle-ridden work will last till we die, but this verse also tells us that we will die. Death is a result of sin. There was no death before the fall. But now, because of mankind's sin, physical death would come to them. God had warned them in Genesis 2 that if they ate fruit from the forbidden tree, they would surely die. Well, as we talked about last week, they instantly died spiritually. But now we discover that they instantly began to die physically. Their physical destiny would be to return to the ground and become dust again. It's a little ironic, isn't it? That mankind's sinned against God by eating other forbidden fruit because they wanted to become like God. And instead, they become like dust. Man who wanted to become the creator, will return to creation. And unless the Lord returns, physical death 
is the destiny of all mankind. The fall is why Barb's dad died a few weeks ago. It's why Rod's brother died a few months ago. It's why my dad died a few years ago, and it is why every single person in this room is going to die. Because of mankind's sin, all of us will face death. As we come to the end of our passage today, we're going to look at three implications. Three ways these truths should affect us. But like we have seen many times before in the book of Genesis, we must remember that this book is not ultimately about us. This is a book about God. He is the main character, the main topic, and the main focus. And this passage shows us things about our creator. The fall teaches us about God. Number one, it teaches us the fall shows that God's judgments, the fall shows God's judgment, so be warned. Sin is a really big deal. It is why there is a, a spiritual war going on between us and the devil. It is why women experience pain in childbearing. It is why there is conflict in our relationships. It is why our work is littered with pain and problems and weariness. And it is why all the people in this room are going to die. God takes sin seriously and his judgments are real. And according to Romans 5, Adam was an accurate representative, which means none of us can complain about Adam just ruining everything for us. He represented us perfectly, and we all fell into sin with him. We all sin, and we all experience some of those terrible consequences for our sin. So be warned, because God is not a God to be trifled with. He stands as judge. He stands as ruler over all, and he will judge those who disobey him, and he will ultimately defeat Satan and destroy all those who follow Satan. But in the midst of this description of God's judgment, we have room for hope. We see a glimpse of God's grace, which leads us to number two. The fall shows God's mercy, so have hope. The fall shows God's mercy, so have hope. God could have wiped all of mankind out of existence the moment they disobeyed, but he didn't. He allowed mankind time to repent. He laid down some judgments, but he also promised some mercy. The first promise of the Savior was given in Genesis 3.15. A promise that an offspring of the woman would, would crush the serpent, would defeat the one who was the source of sin and death, would destroy the chief enemy of mankind. And we know that this Savior is, was Jesus Christ 
who, who died to free us from our captivity to sin, who, who died to give us eternal life, who died to free us from our fear of death. The fall shows God's great hatred for sin, but it also shows God's great mercy towards sinners. And if you have turned to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have a whole lot to hope in. <laughs> Lastly, number three. The fall shows God's victory, so praise God. The fall shows God's victory, so praise God. Mankind messed things up. Mankind did nothing to make things right. And the evil serpent lied, deceived the woman, slandered God, and led mankind into sin. But God will make things right. Satan had tried to use mankind to destroy the plans of God. But God would use an offspring of mankind to destroy Satan. In the end, God is going to win. That's not in dispute. That's not uncertain. It's not a maybe, a possibly, or perhaps God's victory is 100% guaranteed. The serpent will be crushed. The devil will be defeated. Satan will be smashed and the power of death will be destroyed. In the end, God is going to display his awesome glory. His majestic greatness will be fully revealed. His wisdom and power and authority will be seen. God will get his victory. And because of that, he deserves all of our praise. Lord God, we... Thank you that you are a great God and that you have displayed your greatness not only in your creation, but also in your judgment, in your mercy, and your victory over sin and death. We ask God that as we move about our week that we would remember your judgment that we would remember that, that sin has consequences. That sin is a serious thing. It is a violation of your word. It is a rebellion against you. But that we would also remember that there is hope. That we would remember your mercy and that from the very beginning, you made a way where your people could be saved, where sin and death would be defeated. I ask that we would have hope during this week, that we would look to you and your promises, that we would not trust in ourselves, that we would not think that we can be good enough or, 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 or better enough to, to be able to earn our way to you, but that we would look to you and you alone for salvation. And God, I ask that we would remember something that every single one of us here forget, that we would remember that life is not about us but is about you. 
is about displaying your glory, is about helping this world see your greatness. And so I ask God that as we as we move into our, our final song and as we, we move into the rest of our week, that we would praise you, that we would praise you with gusto, with excitement, that we would praise you with joy, that we would praise you because you deserve to be praised. In your son's name we pray. Amen.